Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Datadog third quarter 2019 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star and then zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, AJ Lubitsch, Director of IR and FPNA. Thank you. Please go ahead. Thank you, John. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today to review Datadog's third quarter 2019 financial results, which we announced in our press release issued after the close of market today. Joining me on the call today are Olivier Pomel, Datadog's co-founder and CEO, and David Obstler, Datadog's CFO. During this call, we will make statements related to our business that are forward-looking under federal securities laws and are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act 1995, including statements related to our future financial performance, including our outlook for the fourth quarter and for the full year of 2019, our strategy, benefits of our products, the potential contribution of customers with ARR of 100000 or greater, R&D and go-to-market investments, expected capital expenditures, and the size of our market opportunity. The words anticipate, believe, continue, estimate, expect, intend, will, and similar expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements or similar indications of future expectations. These statements reflect our views only as of today and not as of any subsequent date. These statements are subject to a variety of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. For a discussion of material risks and other important factors that could affect our actual results, please refer to our prospectus filed with the SEC pursuant to Rule 424B dated September 19, 2019, which is available in the Investor Relations section of our website. A replay of this call will be available for, there for a limited time. Additional information will be made available in our quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarter ended September 30, 2019, and other filings and reports that we may file from time to time with the SEC. Additionally, non-GAAP financial measures will be discussed on this conference call. Please refer to the tables in our earnings release, which you can find on the investor relations portion of our website for a reconciliation of those measures to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measures. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Olivier. Thank you, AJ. And thank you all for joining us today for our Q3 earnings call, which is our first as a public company. My co-founder Alexi and I started Datadog about nine years ago with a mission to break down silos between developers and IT operations teams. Today, we are the monitoring and analytics platform for dev, ops, and business users. We provide clarity and actionable insights into software applications and IT infrastructure all in real time. We exist so that our customers can understand everything that happens in their technology stack, enabling them to deliver greater innovation, provide an exceptional user experience, and achieve faster resolution of performance issues. While we are very proud of the company we have built, we're even more excited for the future and the tremendous opportunity ahead of us. I would like to start with a quick review of our business and financial results. For the third quarter, revenue was $95.9 million, an 88% increase year over year. Non-GAAP operating income was $638,000, or a margin of 0.7%. We ended the quarter with 727 customers with annual run rate revenue, or ARR, of $100,000 or more, which is a 93% increase from a year ago. We achieved this while maintaining an efficient tax payback. As in past quarters, our dollar-based net retention rate was over 130% as customers increased their usage and adopted on newer products. And we also continued to be capital efficient as our cash provided by operating activities in Q3 was $3.8 million and year-to-date $6.8 million. Since this is our first call as a public company, I would like to spend a few minutes providing an overview of our market opportunity, our product, and our go-to-market before I review our third quarter highlights. As we all know, a massive IT replatforming is on the web. Companies are moving from static on-premise IT architecture to public and private cloud, as well as other ephemeral technologies like containers, microservices, and serverless computing. These newer technologies allow for increased agility and innovation, but also compound complexity in IT sprawl. Meanwhile, historically separate developers and IT operations teams must come together in order to manage its chaos and better collaborate around a shared view of the IT stack. As businesses are becoming more and more digital, these challenges are affecting companies across all industries, geographies, and sizes. 
We believe we are at the very early stages of a substantial market opportunity, which we estimate to be approximately $35 billion based on our bottom-up calculation. From a product perspective, Datadog was founded in 2010 as a real-time data integration platform that turns the chaos from disparate sources into digestible and actionable insights. Our vision was a single platform that would provide DevOps users with a common view across sources, teams, and technologies. In 2012, we launched our initial use case, infrastructure monitoring. Starting with infrastructure gave us broad deployment across cloud environments and ubiquity across DevOps users. In other words, we were deployed everywhere and used by everyone. Since initial launch, we have continued to innovate across more environments, including containers and serverless, as well as on-premise, hybrid, private, and multi-cloud environments. Because problems rarely stop at the boundary between infrastructure and applications, we saw a need for full-stack observability, and we launched Datadog Application Performance Management, or APM, in 2017. We quickly added Datadog Log Management in 2018, thus completing what we like to call the three pillars of observability. Earlier this year, we also launched Datadog Synthetics to extend into user experience monitoring by letting our customers simulate user journeys on their web applications and API endpoints. All our products, features, and functionalities are offered within the same tightly integrated platform. Our customers can frictionlessly adopt new products, all from the same user interface and powered by a common data model. We believe we win in the market for a few reasons. One, we are a truly integrated platform, allowing us to solve our customers' end-to-end -end problems and innovate rapidly. Two, we were built for the modern dynamic stack, offering end-to-end -end visibility. Three, we are simple but not simplistic, easy to install with no professional services. And four, we are designed for use and collaboration across development, operations, and business teams. From a business model perspective, we have an efficient operating model which has enabled us to achieve best-in-class growth and very modest cash burn. Despite significant and ongoing investment in R&D and sales and marketing, we have only burned approximately $30 million in cash since we began. We have a very strong CAC payback. This allows us to continue to invest in our product and solve more problems for our customers. With that background in mind, let's review our third quarter performance. Overall, we are very pleased with our results. Strength was broad-based, driven by both robust new logo additions, as well as continued growth of existing customers. Our platform strategy is clearly resonating, including strong initial uptake of our synthetics product in the quarter. From an R&D perspective, we continue to invest in our product suite, and we announced over 15 new products, features, and functionalities this July at Dash, our annual user conference. One of the products we announced was network performance monitoring to allow customers to visualize the flow of network traffic in both cloud-based and hybrid environments. It is an extremely lightweight solution that is compatible with all major cloud providers and on-premise servers, giving customers the flexibility to monitor network traffic without sacrificing performance. Another new product was real user monitoring, which complements synthetics for user experience monitoring. It allows customers to analyze the performance of applications as directly experienced by the end users. We also continue to iterate on our existing solutions. For, ex for instance, log rehydration allows our customers to reload archive logs into the Datadog platform to enable full indexing and analysis. And as a reminder, our model allows us to charge for data indexing separate from ingestion. We added several level service level objectives to our platform, allowing customers to easily track SLOs which are relevant to both engineers and business users. And additionally, we announced enhancements to our machine learning and AI capabilities. Watchdog, our always-on detection engine, now automatically surfaces anomalies within the infrastructure and APM parts of our platform. Metric correlation is another new feature that will analyze any metrics exhibiting an unusual trend and actively search for others that are displaying a similar pattern. And trace outliers will automatically analyze all incoming APM traffic, allowing our customers to easily spot meaningful outliers. Last but not least, another exciting development we announced in October is that Datadog is currently in process for FedRAMP certification, and we're very excited by the potential to expand our addressable market 
to U.S. federal departments and agencies. As a quick note, the products announced at Dash are in beta, and we are not yet charging our customers for them. Now, switching gears to talk about products we, actually, we already charge for. In Q3, we begin uh, charging for synthetics, which has gotten off to a very strong start. This is in line with our track record of new product introductions, as our unified SaaS platform allows customers to adopt new products without any friction. In Q3, we saw strong adoption of our newer products from both new and existing customers. As evidence of our strong platform adoption, approximately 50% of our customers were using two or more products at the end of Q3, which is up from 40% last quarter and 15% a year ago. And we'll point out that our newer products are no more than about two and a half years old. As mentioned before, we have continued to invest in R&D. For the year-to-date period through Q3, non-GAAP R&D expense was 30% of revenue, which is an increase from 27% in the year-ago period. Given our platform strategy and our proven track record of efficiently developing and selling newer products, we plan to continue to invest meaningfully in R&D. That's it for product. On to the go-to-market side. In the third quarter, we saw strong new logo additions as well as expansion from existing customers. As of the end of the third quarter, we had approximately 9,500 customers, up from 7,100 a year ago. We ended with 727 customers with an ARR of $100,000 or more, up 93% from a year ago, and an increase of more than 130 in the quarter alone. Given that more than 70% of our ARR is generated from customers over $100,000, we expect this cohort of customers to be a large driver of our future growth. Now, let's review some of our key wins in the quarter. First, one of our new customers is a multinational telecom provider out of Europe. This customer adopted Datadog to support their e-commerce site ahead of the new iPhone launch. Our platform enabled them to have a successful launch without any major performance issues, while other carriers in the country experienced website outages because of traffic surges. This initial six-figure land includes all three pillars, infrastructure, APM, and logs, as well as synthetics. Second, an established Fortune 500 retailer had a six-figure upsell. His customer adopted infrastructure monitoring in 2017, followed by both APM and logs in 2018, and more recently, synthetics. Over 100 of their internal teams are using Datadog as they adopt Microsoft Azure and container technologies. This customer spend with us has grown more than 5x since our initial deal, and we believe there is still a lot more room for growth. Next, one of our largest Q3 deals was a seven-figure, three-pillars new logo from a higher education software and services company. This mid-market customer with fewer than 5,000 employees demonstrates the spending power of even mid-sized companies as they come to Datadog as a strategic partner to support their digital businesses. Finally, a large Europe-based shipping and logistics company with origins dating back over 100 years had a six-figure upsell in the quarter. This company was previously using built-in cloud provider <coughs> monitoring tools which lack the ability to correlate front and back-end issues. And this is a powerful example of how Datadog enables companies in all regions and industries who are in the middle of their digital transformation. As we said during the IPO, we continue to invest in our go-to-market. This includes growing quota-carrying reps by 70% year-over-year as of the end of Q3. We do experience high returns on our sales marketing investments, benefiting from our very efficient business model and driven by our land and expand go-to-market. As evidence of our business model efficiency, our CAC payback continues to be approximately one year. And we intend to continue investing meaningfully in our sales and marketing efforts globally. With that, I would like to turn the call over to our Chief Financial Officer, David Osler. David? Thanks, Olivier. As mentioned, we are very pleased with our strong third quarter results. Since this is our first earnings call, I would like to begin with a brief brief overview of our financial model. I will then review our Q3 performance 
and provide our guidance for the fourth quarter and full year. We generate revenue from the sale of subscriptions to our SaaS platform. Customers have the option to purchase multiple products, including infrastructure monitoring, APM and logs, as well as additional SKUs such as containers, custom metric packages, and anomaly detection. Our revenue is all subscription as professional services are not required to implement our products. Customer contracts typically have either annual or monthly commitments. Additionally, customers are billed for on-demand usage in excess of their committed amount, typically monthly in arrears. Given the mix of annual and monthly invoicing and the variability in billing, we do not believe that calculated billings is the most useful metric for investors to evaluate our business performance, as in any one period, billings growth can vary substantially from revenue growth. Turning to Q3 results, revenue was $95.9 million, up 88% year-over-year. As Olivier mentioned, the quarter strength was broad-based, driven by new and existing customers, as well as strong platform adoption and initial uptake of synthetics. To provide you with some more context, first, in Q3, we saw strong new logo additions across both sales channels and regions. This is particularly notable in what is uh, typically a seasonally challenging third quarter involving the summer. Additionally, we saw strong continued expansion of existing customers. In the third quarter, our dollar-based net retention rate was above 130% for the ninth consecutive quarter. A robust retention rate is driven by increased usage of existing products, as well as cross-selling of newer products, including the inclusion of synthetics for the first time. Once our customers are on the Datadog platform, they can frictionlessly expand with us to increase use of the platform. The cross-selling of newer products is a more recent driver of our net retention rate. Lastly, we note strength internationally, specifically a strong sales quarter in EMEA. This is particularly impressive given many of the teams in the region are still ramping. Calculated billings, defined as revenue plus a sequential change in deferred revenue, was $112 million, up 132% year over year. As mentioned, we do not believe calculated billings to be a focus metric for our business due to the mix of monthly and annual billing terms among our customers and because billings growth can vary substantially from revenue growth in any one period. Nor do we plan to comment on it on a regular basis going forward. But to give you an example of the variance between billings and revenue growth, um, we want to add a few comments. First, we had a multi-million dollar deal which was renewed and billed in Q3-19. This customer was not billed in Q3 last year. In addition, we had, a one, we had one large two-year prepaid deal in Q3-17, which was thus not billed in Q3-18, but was billed again in Q3-19. Adjusting for these two customers, normalized calculated billings growth would have been approximately 100%, still very strong and generally reflective of our strong Q3 sales. Now let's review the income statement in more detail. As a reminder, <clears throat> unless otherwise noted, all metrics are non-GAAP. We have provided a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financials in our press release. Gross profit in the quarter was $72.9 million, representing a gross margin of 76%. This compares to a gross margin of 77% a year ago and 75% last quarter. As we have discussed previously, we are in the middle of an accelerated innovation cycle of delivering new products, as well as the build-out of cloud data centers in newer geographies. We will over time balance investment and, optimi and optimization to manage our gross margin. R&D expense was $26.8 million, or 28% of revenue in the Q3, up slightly from 27% a year ago. 
We continue to benefit from product-led adoption and have made extensive investments in our platform. This is evidenced by the launch of Synthetics earlier in the year and the 15-plus product announcements made at Dash. We continue to see a meaningful opportunity to further our innovation and expand our platform and therefore plan to continue to make meaningful investments in R&D going forward. Sales and marketing expense was $37.3 million, or 39% of revenues, down from 48% in the year-ago period. The change in Q3 was more pronounced than usual due to both the outperformance of revenues and the timing of trade show events between 2019 versus 2018. We note that for the nine months and to September uh, 2019, sales and marketing expense as a percentage of revenue was 41%, down from 43% in the year-ago period, showing the development of some leverage in sales and marketing. We continue to see strong returns from our sales and marketing investments and plan to continue to invest to expand our go-to-market globally. G&A expense was $8.2 million, or 9% of revenue, slightly higher than 8% a year ago, given some IPO-related expenses. Operating income was a positive 638000 or a 0.7 operating margin, uh, compared to an operating loss of $3.2 million, or negative 6% in the year-ago period. Net income for the quarter was 695000 or break-even per share, based on 285 million weighted average diluted shares outstanding. We have a highly efficient business model and experienced a high return on our, invest, on our investments in sales and marketing and R&D. While we have operated around break-even and outperformed on profitability in Q3, we see ample opportunities to continue to invest in the, larger, in the large market opportunity ahead of us. Turning to the balance sheet and cash flow, we ended the quarter with $771 million in cash, cash equivalents, and restricted cash. This includes approximately $709 million net IPO proceeds. Cash flow from operations was a positive $3.8 million for the quarter and a positive $6.8 million year-to-date. After taking into consideration capital expenditures and capitalized software, free cash flow was a negative $3.7 million for the quarter and a negative $10.1 million year-to-date. Our capital expenditures consist primarily of real estate build-outs and was slightly elevated due to projects in our New York and Paris offices. The timing of some of the payments for New York and Paris build-outs shifted to Q4, and we therefore expect another quarter of slightly elevated CapEx. Given we are hosted entirely in the cloud, our hosting costs flow through the P&L, not CapEx. I would now like to turn to our outlook for the fourth quarter and the full year 2019. Beginning with the fourth quarter, we expect revenue to be in the range of $101 to $103 million, which represents a year-over-year growth of 65.5% at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating loss from operations is expected to be in the range of negative 6 to negative 8. Non-GAAP net loss per share is expected to be in the range of negative one to two cents per share based on approximately 297 million weighted average shares outstanding. A few things to take into account in our guidance. First, in the third quarter, we saw a meaningful growth of existing accounts and billed for synthetics for the first time. While we have seen meaningful and sustained growth, of existing accounts over time and have a history of launching new products, this can be more challenging to predict over short periods. Second, on profitability. In Q4, we will have the first full quarter of public company costs, particularly DNO insurance, as well as some sizable trade show expenses. For the full year 2019, Revenue is expected to be in the range of 350 to 352 million dollars, which represents 77% year-over-year growth at the midpoint. 
Non-GAAP loss from operations is expected to be in the range of negative 18 to negative 20 million. Non-GAAP net loss per share is expected to be in the range of negative 11 cents to negative 12 cents per share based on approximately 140 million weighted average shares outstanding. To summarize, we are very pleased with the business performance in the third quarter. We have built the leading monitoring and analytics platform for the cloud age and are generating growth at scales that few companies can match. We are making continued investments for growth in the foreseeable future. We believe we are at the early stages of a multi-billion dollar market opportunity and we feel very good about our ability to build a very large and successful company over time. With that, we will now open the call for questions. Operating, operator, let's begin the Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press the star and then the number one key on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered or you'd like to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. To give way to other participants, please limit yourselves to one question and a follow-up. Thank you. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Sanjit Singh from Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Hi. Thank you for taking the questions, and congrats to the team on a successful IPO and uh, and your first earnings call, um, and a very strong set of results. So congrats on all fronts there. Um, Olivier, maybe to, to start off the Q&A, wanted to ask about um, the quarterly performance this quarter. Did you see strengths um, coming from competitive displacements? Are you seeing, um, you know, displacing competitors? Or are you continuing to see a lot, a lot of the growth coming just from um, greenfield expansions? And then I had a follow-up. Yeah, so you know the business is still mostly greenfield and it's mostly net new and it's mostly cloud environments, which by definition are new for our customers. Uh, they always have other solutions, especially when you talk about large customers and large enterprise customers. They have lot, they have existing solutions for their legacy environments, but they make new decisions for their cloud environments. We do see also a few uh, competitive displacements, but that's not the majority of what we do. Understood. And then as a follow-up, it seems like you're seeing um, some strong momentum um, with, with new products. seems like synthetics is some really good early signs of traction there. And you had some um, additional opportunities in international um, and also it looks like Fed could be an opportunity for you. So maybe if you could sort of, um, sort of stack rank some of the opportunities in terms of what are the biggest opportunities uh, that you see over the next uh, one or two years, and what are the, some of the more near-term opportunities that you think can drive uh, growth more than near-term, whether it's um, network performance monitoring, when that comes off of, off of, uh, off of beta, or it's just continued traction with, with synthetics. So sort of a, a, strength, uh, a stack ranking of the near-term and the, and the medium-term opportunities. Well, near-term, near um, we, we have... Our, our core product, our core infrastructure product, is still growing very, very fast, uh, and is what we you know most of our customers use in conjunction with other products, and they still grow a lot with that product. In addition to that, our APM and log management product are also very recent, and they're in both in hyper growth, um, and so they drive a lot of our uh, short-term and near-term success. Uh, newer products like synthetics. Are, are nice ads, but they're, you know, they don't represent the bulk of the, uh, outperformance we've seen this quarter. You know, so right now, you know, it's still the basics, still the, the three pillars, uh, the products we have, we have on the market and we've been developing over the past few years, uh, that are getting us the bulk of our, of our, of our growth. As we, as we mentioned in the call, we've been very happily surprised by the performance of synthetics right out of the gate. Uh, it's a great sign. It's a great sign, you know, in particular when we think of all the new products we have in the wings that we haven't started charging for. Um, but again, that's, uh, uh, I think it will be more material in the uh, 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 quarters or in years to come. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Next question coming from the line of Sterling Ari from JP Morgan. Your line is now open. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. Um, wanted to, to better understand, in terms of the customers that are going with multiple products, both new and existing, 
how would you characterize how much of that success is coming out of the mid-market versus large enterprise? It's about the same. Uh, we see the same behavior in, the, in all parts of the market when it comes to that. In fact, you know, it's the, the places where we'll see uh, customers not use necessarily uh, us for everything they do is companies that have been earlier into the cloud and that have used other products for a while and then have everything set up that way already. That's where we don't have any initial opportunity to displace everything at once. Uh, when customers are newer to the cloud and they're starting their migration, which is the case of most of the enterprise customers as well as the higher end of the mid-market, uh, there's an immediate opportunity to land on you know, two or three or four of our products at once. That makes sense. And then one follow-up question. You know, the market is seeing your pricing that you're using for logging as very disruptive. And I think we're starting to see some of the competition make changes to their pricing. Wondering what, what you're seeing in the competitive dynamics with all of those changes. We, we don't see any change uh, in the competitive dynamics yet, you know. Um, I think we've seen some pricing from some other vendors, uh, and but ultimately, it hasn't changed the, uh, the fundamental dynamics um, for their customers and in the conversation we've had so far. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Chris Merwin from Goldman Sachs. Your line's now open. Okay, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> maybe can you just talk a bit about how the ongoing shift to containers is changing the competitive landscape for, for you at all? Is it, um, I guess, increasingly important in terms of your ability to monitor these workloads? Is that an increasingly important factor in determining why you, you win with customers? Yeah, so it's definitely, you know, when you think of what makes the, uh, the old guard of uh, tooling and approaches just not work at all, like containers as our one big part of that. You know, and, and we've been uh, monitoring containers at scale for many years now. You know, we've, had, we've seen our customers uh, run containers in production uh, since you know, before it was advisable to do it. Um, and that's, a, that's been a big part of our infrastructure monitoring product for many years now. Uh, we, we don't have n numbers to share on the, uh, on the volumes we see, but I can tell you that, you know, we already see, uh, several times the numbers of containers at any point in time as we do, you know, the number of, of traditional instances or VMs. Okay, great. And then as you continue to invest in R&D, maybe can you just talk a bit about some of the main projects there? I mean, it looks, obviously you have a, very strong and, and comprehensive suite in the market already, but with the incremental R&D investment, are you looking to go broader in terms of product from here, or is it just maybe more focused on deeper in terms of the functionality uh, with some of your existing products maybe to help with even further traction in the enterprise? Well, it's a bit of both, right? So we have, um, as I mentioned earlier, our, our infrastructure product is still growing very fast, um, and there's a lot of ground we can still cover to make life easier for our customers there. Um, so we, we are heavily investing in our infrastructure product. Our log management and APM products are in hypergrowth, um, and we're very rapidly innovating there, um, so we're investing heavily. Um, we have a few more products we've announced at Dash that we have to fully bring to market. As I mentioned earlier, uh, most of these products are in beta, and we haven't started charging for them yet, and that's something that you'll see in the next two quarters. Um, and then uh, there's a few larger categories uh, we talked about um, in the IPO Roadshow um, that we, we think we can enter in the future, but that's, a, I would say, mid to long-term uh, plan. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Brad Zelnick from, Kid, from Credit Suisse. Your line's now open. Great. Congrats on a very strong start as a public company. My first question is for Olivier. Olivier, I wanted to ask a question about open telemetry as we head towards the official convergence of open census and open tracing. And obviously you've su supported the project uh, up until now, but looking forward to the extent the project is successful in standardizing instrumentation for metrics and traces, what sort of impact would you expect it to have on your business model, if any at all? Uh, it's all good for us. You know, I think we've always thought that um, the, uh, the data collection on the customer side was not going to be the long-term differentiator, and that's why we've actually open-sourced all of our technology 
that lives on the, uh, on the on the customer side. You know, our agents, our libraries, um, our APIs, everything is open source. Uh, supporting open telemetry is another step in that direction. At the end of the day, what matters um, is to make the product as easy to deploy as possible, as easy to get information in and out of as possible, uh, and that's where we invest heavily uh, on the back end of our product. That makes perfect sense. And, and David, can you update us on how we should expect gross margins to scale as you continue to see strength internationally and need to ramp compute capacity overseas? I think we gave, uh, in our long-term model, you know, a slight improvement over time. We said that we're in investment mode. So um, right now we're balancing uh, the investment versus um, optimization. Um, you see we've been in the range of 75, 76. We said we will, as we get to 75, you know, start to try to balance a little more. So that's our approach to that. But we're still in investment mode and we'll still expand, you know, geographically. Great. Thanks again for taking my questions. Thanks. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Ramo Lin Chow from Barclays. Your line's now open. Hey, thanks. Uh, congrats on me as well. Uh, Olivier, like, uh, if I understand you correctly, like, um, you know, people come to you when they move over to the cloud, you know, because the old tools, the on-premise tools don't work anymore. And, and there, my first question is more a big picture question. Question: Where are we in that cloud migration? It, it feels very, very early, which basically means that even on infrastructure monitoring, there should be huge opportunity of initial workloads coming over, but then more and more workloads coming over. I, I just wanted to hear your big picture thinking there. Yeah, so... Look, nobody knows exactly where we are. Like, it's uh, it's hard to wrap your uh, your arms around the the, the whole thing. Uh, but depending on the, you know, the the various people you can ask, the various folks who have tried to estimate that, it's either single digit percent or it's in the low uh, low teens, basically, of the workloads uh, that have moved from legacy IT to public and private cloud. Um, so, with that in mind, you know, we have basically 95 or so, or 90 percent of the the end market. Uh, that is, that hasn't been attributed yet, which is why we think even for infrastructure, uh, which, was a, which was our first product, there is a tremendous amount of runway ahead of us. Um, this is also combated by the fact that as companies uh, transform and become digital businesses, the overall uh, impact and footprint of their uh, application and software uh, is going to grow. You know, so the end state, we're not just looking at the transition from whatever it had before um, in a data center into something that's more cloudy but of equal size, uh, we think that the, uh, the end state is going to be a lot larger. Again, it's hard to quantify. Uh, you, know, you can, you can lead, read a lot of Gartner reports and things like that, um, but we, we're confident that this is a very large opportunity and we are at the very, very, very beginning of it. Okay, perfect team. Thank you. And then the uh, the follow up was like, as you launch a new product, like, how, what's your thinking around just marketing or selling this as a platform versus uh, the individual products? So, uh, or mess- so the, the way we do this is we message around the platform, uh, but we uh, we approach customers with the infrastructure first, and the infrastructure is the the immediate pain. Uh, that customer feel that needs to be remediated and that we uh, we get our foot in the door with, so to speak. Um, but we we always miss it with the platform. So it's a okay, bit, uh, bit of both, yeah. Okay, perfect. Hey, congrats. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Matt Hedberg from RBC Capital Markets. Your line's now open. Oh, hey, guys. Uh, I'll offer my congrats as well. Um, Olivia, my question was on APM, and it's sort of a follow-up to Ramos. Um, you know, when we talk to folks out there in the industry, a lot of people think that maybe only 5% of apps are being monitored. I'm curious, um, you know, I guess why is that? And, and, and you know, five years from now, uh, you know, wh- where do you think we could be at as an industry? Yeah, so, and that's a quote that's mostly used in um, in conjunction with legacy APM, you know, so the, uh, the APM that, uh, you know, was used in a, traditional data center apps. Uh, and the reason for this slow um, instrumentation rate is that these APMs are very, very, very heavyweight uh, and they're very expensive, you know, so it's very hard actually to deploy them and get value out of it, out of them. And it, it ends up being limited to 
a small set of extremely you know, high-value applications uh, for which you can be convinced to make an investment and get some ROI out of it. Uh, when you think of uh, the, the world we're going into, the world of the cloud, the world of companies that are um, becoming increasingly um, software companies, they're going to have many, 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 many more apps. And the, the solutions we're providing to them are a lot easier to deploy, and it's actually a lot more affordable uh, for each uh, unit of compute they have to deploy our solutions. Um, so we're going to end up with, with a market that is significantly larger, um, and uh, there's going to be a lot less investment needed to, uh, to get to, uh, to, to, to see returns. So that's the, the big difference between the, this world of the, uh, the 5% of the apps being monitored with APM um, to the, the world of the future where companies operate mostly digitally um, and they will end up um, instrumenting most of the applications. That's super helpful. And then maybe as a follow-up, um, congrats on the early success of synthetics. Um, I, I imagine a lot of that's greenfield wins, but could you talk a little bit more about the competitive landscape for synthetics? Thanks. Yeah, so you know, there's a, a few different aspects to it. And the first one is uh, a number of the APM vendors have a synthetics capability on top of their APM product. Uh, so that's, I would say, the first set of competitors. And then there are a number of companies that offer pure play synthetics testing. You know, some of them, uh, I would say, fairly low end. You know, so uh, some cheap products that you can very easily adopt. Uh, and then there's a, uh, another part of the industry that, you know, uh, is more into QA replacement and, you know, high-end uh, software testing. So that's the overall uh, landscape. Our initial focus was, was not really to try and compete with any of, of those specifically. Uh, it was to fill a gap we saw in uh, the way our customers could understand and maintain the performance of the applications. So we didn't drive it from a, uh, uh, an intent to compete head-to-head -head with those companies. We drove it from uh, what we think the future is going to look like uh, in terms of an integrated platform that covers everything, including uh, simulating user traffic. Thank you. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Brent Still with Jeff Reese. Your line is now open. Yeah, just a quick follow-up in synthetics. Um, when you mentioned the strong uptake, I was just curious if you could, uh, you know, dive a little deeper into that comment and in terms of, you know, w what you're seeing and perhaps, you know, what what you think the incremental revenue uplift you're seeing. And uh, the second part is is you continue to expand this product portfolio, uh, which is obviously very uh, you know, robust. You know, is there an easier way that uh, that you can go to market with an enterprise license agreement or some type of sweet pricing that it will make it easier for the sales force to, to, to go to customers and, and engage uh, as, as you roll up more and more features. Are you, are you seeing a desire from customers for that, or is it still too early? Thank you. Yes, on the, on the first part, um, so let, yes, we're very impressed by what we saw uh, right out of the gate with synthetics. I think it's a uh, we can say that it's a couple percent of the overall mm -hmm. uh, growth rate right. that mm -hmm. comes from synthetics, mm -hmm. uh, which is more, more than we had mm -hmm. expected. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, though, that this includes um, a few months of um, pent-up demand. You know, as we, we onboarded customers during the beta, we uh, also didn't ch start charging for the product right away after the product went GA. Um, so when we started charging in Q3, we already had some built-up usage, basically. Um, we, over time, that product... Uh, we expect it to grow. Uh, we don't know if we'll see the same impact uh, next quarter as we had this quarter, again, because we had some uh, pent-up uh, uh, demand you know, when we started charging for it. Uh, but we're bullish. On um, the, the pricing and the, the way to sell multiple products, we already do that in a way. You know, we, we let customers um, commit to a certain amount of uh, spending on that dog, um, with a rate card, basically, that lets them buy any of the products and combine them in any way they see fit without having to commit to specific level of use for any of the products. And that's something our products, our customers love, you know, because it lets them um, just uh, negotiate a, um, a rate for everything ahead of time um, um, and, and not have to worry about what their teams are going to use or not use. And today, it hasn't been a problem for the sales force um, to, uh, to sell that to customers. And that's in great part because you know, the, the buyers uh, are the same for everything we sell today. 
Great, thank you. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Brad Reback from Stipe, from Stiefel. Your line's now open. Uh, great, thanks very much. Uh, if we compare the first nine months of this year to last year, have you seen any difference in customer drawdown rates on existing contracts? Well, we continue to see the same um, effect, which is customers are drawing down in both periods uh, more quickly than the pro rata. So um, they're consuming uh, the products both from the usage of infrastructure as well as ad additional products. So we continue to have the same muscle which is that customers are finding they're, um, they're, they're using more quickly and sort of come back for more reserved instances, some more fixed capacity. That happened last year, and that's continuing this year. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Next question, coming from the line of Michael Turit with Raymond James here, Lions Dowelton. Hi, guys. I love you, and David, of course, congrats on the IPO and on the great first quarter out of the gate. Uh, you guys have pioneered so much in, in terms of uh, monitoring and, and, and looking at this from a multi-solid approach. There have been some competitive responses from a couple of companies in the APM space and the logging space. Do, do you see any change in sales cycles, sales cycles or decision cycles in response to that broadening of the market and people following your lead? No, we don't. We don't see any changes. And again, I mean, we, we, we did it. We we do expect that as, um, what uh, our approach of combining the silos, um, and uh, solving the end-to-end -end problem for our customers, uh, is obviously successful. We do expect uh, that it's not lost on our on our competitors who we you know uh, have in high regard. So that's uh, we see that as validation of our approach. But so today we haven't seen any any changes in the competitive dynamics. And I think as we said, the, um, in Q3, we had a very strong uh, new logo. You can see that in the customer count. Um, so um, uh, even over the summer months. Um, and then we also have maintained the retention rates with increased usage as well as, as we talked about earlier, uh, um, increased um, adoption of the platform. So all of those things are, are continuing um, um, you know, in that quarter. And then, um, Paul, David, there's a great beat on EBIT and a nice, um, a nice guide on, on EBIT for next quarter. Mm -hmm. But if I, as, as I model it quickly, it looks like the OPEX uh, that's implied is, is less than we had originally modeling. Is there any push out uh, of spending into, first of all, in, either into next quarter or into next year? Not at all. We're continuing to grow the sales team and the R&D team and invest. Um, similarly, um, I think you saw revenues um, has outperformed, and with our gross margins, that's dropped to the bottom line. But we're continuing with the same investment uh, pace that we had when we met all during the roadshow. Great. Thanks, David and Olivia. And again, congrats on a great quarter of the gate. Thank you. Thank you. Next question coming from the line of Pat Wallraven with JMP Securities. Your line's now open. Oh, great. Thank you. And let me add my congratulations. Um, so one for each of you. Olivia, I'd love to hear your thoughts on where customers are in their um, journey towards DevOps maturity and, and maybe how you see it differ by geography or by industry or by size of company. Yeah, so it's interesting because we see, um, so if you think of the transition to DevOps and, and more broadly to the cloud, uh, the markets in, uh, in EMEA and in APAC um, are about two or three years behind uh, what we've seen in the U.S. You know, so when we've seen in particular large enterprises in the U.S. Um, start going to uh, public and private cloud at scale um, two to three years ago, uh, it's something that is just starting to happen uh, in other parts of the world today. Um, so I would say that's the main comment I would have. Otherwise, you know, we've seen the uh, the, f the first companies to move to the cloud and to, to DevOps where the uh, the small companies, you know, tech-oriented companies. Uh, after that, you saw the, the larger enterprise companies that needed to modernize, and I think last are going to be the uh, 
the mid-market, more traditional uh, companies um, that that are that are starting to mobilize as well. So we see all those various parts of the market turn on, you know, one after one after each other, basically. Yeah, and and, and is the like federal government even behind all those? Where we federal think? government is federal government is happening too, but it's a, I would say it's a bit of a different beast. Yeah. Okay, and then David, uh, congratulations on the ninth consecutive quarter. Um, just, you know, I, I would love it if you could ex- uh, set our expectations a little bit in terms of the dollar-based net expansion rate and, and what we should expect um, as we think about it for the future. Yeah, I think we had said at the time of the IPO that we would comment of that on that relative to 130, and uh, we're continuing to do that. Um, we've seen, you know, no change in the environment relative to what we saw when we went public relative to the drivers of that and um, increased usage and cross-sell. Yeah, and we know our perspective is 130% is, is already best in class, and, um, um, and uh, that's the number we're going to, to use moving forward. All right, great. Thank you both. You're welcome. Thank you. Next question comes from the line of Jack Andrews with Needham. Your line is now open. Well, good afternoon, and uh, congratulations on the results. Um, I wanted to see if you could drill down a bit more on uh, just trends in terms of the, the new logos, specifically that you've been landing. Are you seeing, um, you know, different, uh, perhaps higher ASPs? Are you still predominantly landing with infrastructure or perhaps more multi-product deals? Any more color on the, the new customer wins you're experiencing um, would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, so the the trends are remains the same as what we've detailed during the IPO. You know, if you still have some of the data in the S1 or in the uh, in the roadshow, that all of that remains true, and some of that you can extrapolate a little bit, and you you get a good idea of what is happening today. Um, on the um, that's on the uh, uh, new logos, and uh, uh, on the ASPs. Uh, again, the trends remain remain the same. I think we had, you know, they're very, they're similar in, in. I think we said a couple hundred thousand for enterprise and 150, 160 for mid market continues to grow with the customers and continue to have um, a meaningful contribution. We talked about of um, of customers landing with more than one logo, uh, with more than one pillar, and so it's very much what we said on the um, IPO roadshow continuing. Uh, great. Thanks for taking my question. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. I am showing no further questions at this time. I would now like to hand over the call to Olivier Pomel, CEO, for any closing remarks. Thank you. Uh, well, in closing, I'd like to repeat that we are incredibly proud of what we've built at Datadog. Uh, we believe we're in the early stages of a substantial replatforming opportunity. We are very focused on executing on our growth strategies today, and we believe we have the potential to be a substantially larger and profitable company in the long term. And I would like to thank all Datadog customers for their trust, and of course, all Datadog employees for their hard work and dedication. We have accomplished great things so far, and I believe the best is yet to come. So thank you. Thank you, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference. Thank you for your participation, and have a wonderful day. You may all disconnect.